If you have your Bibles, would you turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13. <clears throat> great are you, Lord. He is great. He is greatly to be praised. It's his breath in our lungs. So we poured our praise to him because the Bible says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for an opportunity to open your word. As a result, we open up our ears, our hearts, and our minds. We say, have your way. May the seed find fertile soil today. Not a hard heart, not a thorny heart, but a gentle spirit, a receptive spirit. Lord, there's a word for us today. I thank you how you say in your word that you sent forth your spirit to speak to the people, to heal the people. Lord, keep doing that today. We need you. We thank you, Lord God, that we have you. Bless us now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were born before 1980, can you just raise your hand if you were born before 1980? <clears throat> okay, that, that, that helps me out a lot. <laughs> because I'm part of Generation X. I'm not part of this millennial group. Generation X folks, we come after the baby boomers. We were born uh, in a period from 1965 to 1980. So Generation X, that, that's me, born in 1968. Because what I'm about to say to open up this sermon, the illustration I'm going to use, I'm going to lose a lot of y'all <laughs> with this illustration. But some of y'all are going to be right there with me. <clears throat> Who remembers the Beverly Hillbillies? See? See, I tell you what now. I need to see all those kind of hands go up when I say, man, we need some uh, servers. We need some givers. We need... No, y'all's hearts go up. You know. uh, yeah, the Beverly Hillbillies. Because when I grew up, we watched television sitcoms. And the sitcom, the theme song, told you a whole lot about what you were about to watch. And many times, the, the theme song really gave you a synopsis of the whole show. You know, if I said, now the world don't move to the beat of just one drum. Y'all know that. What, what show was that? Different strokes. Uh, I won't even test y'all anymore with any more trivia. Lasagna knew that one, boy. Uh, let's see here. What, 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 what was that? Mm, moving on up to the east side, see? To a deluxe apartment in the sky. We're moving on up. See, Generation X, we, we knew them songs, you know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, Grits Don't Burn, that's part of the good times. Uh, good times. Anytime you need a payment. Good times. Anytime you need a friend. Good times. Anytime you're like a money. Not getting hassled. Not getting hustled. What? See, see, see. Uh-huh. Y'all with me. Y'all with me. Stay with me. Because now I got to give you the Beverly Hillbillies. Come and listen to my story about a man named Jay. A poor mountaineer barely kept his family fed. But then one day he was shooting at some food and up from the ground came a oil that is, black gold, Texas tea. Now the next thing you know, old Jed's a millionaire. The kinfolk said, Jed, they said California is the place you ought to be. So he loaded up the truck and moved to hills that is, 
swimming pools, movie stars. Oh, give yourselves a hand, Strong Tower. But as your pastor today, I, I, I have to exposit and exegetic, exegetically break down that theme song because there's a treasure trove of truth in that theme song. You see, Jed, poor mountaineer, was hungry. He's trying to feed his family, and he went out hunting. And he had his, I guess, double barrel shotgun, and he's shooting at some food, possibly a rabbit, possibly a raccoon, or possibly, uh, what else you shoot at out there? A possum. Y'all nasty if y'all eat possum, man. <laughs> but he's shooting that stuff. <laughs> a rabbit. But Jet misses what he's aiming at, and he shoots in the ground and strikes oil that is underneath his property. So Jed was shooting at one thing, but hit another. And the thing that Jed hit was better than the thing he was originally aiming for. Are y'all with me or am I by myself? What he hit was better than what he was originally aiming for. Jed had a serendipity. A serendipity. Pastor, what is a serendipity? A serendipity is when a series of events develops miraculously in your life in an unsuspecting way. For believers, it appears to be chance. But because we're believers, we know that it's providence. So let me say that again. A serendipity is when a series of events develops miraculously in your life and usually unsuspectingly, it appears to be chance. But for us, we know it's providence. A serendipity is when the eternal or the serene dips into the mundane. It's when the serene, the eternal, dips into the mundane existence of our lives. It's when you're aiming for one thing, but God allows you to experience something else, something better, something that you didn't see coming. So today, I want to encourage you today with a message entitled, Serendipitous Surprises. Somebody needs to hear this today. God is not done surprising you. Serendipitous surprises. You see, the word serendipity originated in 1754. It's from an ancient Persian fairy tale called The Three Princes of Serendip. The Three Princes of Serendip. Serendip is modern-day Sri Lanka. You see, these three princes went on a quest looking for treasure. And there are various versions of the story, but they went out looking for treasure, but they found none. And so on their way back to Serendip, on their way back to Sri Lanka, feeling like they were defeated, feeling like they had wasted their time, they stumbled upon a treasure that they weren't looking for. And what they stumbled on and what they found was greater than what they originally set out to look for originally. So that is a serendipity. Something happens in your life that you're not expecting and it's better than what you were doing or looking for. It's when the serene or the eternal dips into the mundane experiences of our lives. And in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is telling several parables parables. And parables are simply stories that have a spiritual meaning. He's using illustrations to get the people's uh, understanding to grasp the things of God, the things of the kingdom. So he uses physical illustrations, stories that have spiritual meanings and truths behind them. And when Jesus would tell these parables, because the Bible says never a man ever spoke like Jesus, he could come straight at you from the Torah, from the word of God, but he could also use stories to get your attention. And Jesus told parables about many things. He told parables about the last days. He told parables about salvation. He told parables about money. Jesus told parables about heaven. 
and also about hell. Jesus told parables about truth and falsehood. He also told parables about social outcasts in the community and how the last are going to be first and the first are going to be last. Jesus told stories and parables about forgiveness, how we are to forgive as we have been forgiven. He told parables about being ready for his soon and imminent return. Jesus told parables about Israel and about the nations. He told stories about how the Messiah would be rejected by his own people. Jesus also told parables about finding lost things, which really was about finding lost people. And then he would tell parables like the one we're going to read today, simply about joy. He would tell parables about joy. Why? Because Romans chapter 14, verse 17 says that the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but it's about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So the kingdom of God is about joy. There's nothing boring about being a believer. If your experience with Christ is boring or it's just static, you may need to check to see who you're following. Because Jesus says, I came that they may have life and life more abundantly. Man, riding with Jesus, rolling with Jesus, following Jesus. It is, as Stephen Curtis Chapman sings, a great adventure. And so Jesus has so much in store for us. And in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, he tells a parable about joy. Because some of us need joy today. Joy is something that can only come from God. Joy is something that cannot be conjured up in your own strength. It is something that begins with the Holy Spirit, for the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. It is something that emanates from within because of a focus, a focus on God. It's not contingent or based upon your circumstances or what is around you because the man who was in prison writing to a church in Philippi said, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say to you, rejoice. And he was locked up, but joy could not be locked up because it was something God was doing on the inside. His inward man was being renewed, although his outward man was wasting away in prison. Joy, something that comes from God. Joy, it gives us strength. Joy allows us to cry or smile when we ought to be crying. Joy gives us hope that we were singing about today. Joy. It comes from God. And Jesus says, let me talk to you all about how the kingdom of God is like joy. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Just one verse of scripture today. That's it. Jesus is telling a story, a parable about the kingdom of God. And he says, the kingdom is like a man who finds a treasure. And for joy over that treasure, he goes and sells everything he has and goes and buys the field. Now, many times when Jesus tells parables, he gives us the interpretation of the parable. So he's speaking in public, and then he would be finished speaking, and then the disciples would ask him away from the crowds, Lord, what did that parable mean about the seed and the sower? What did that parable mean about the wheat and the tear? And then he would begin to explain to them and break down the illustration and give you the spiritual equivalence or the meaning of the parable. But in this particular parable, he doesn't give us the meaning. Uh, so that leaves it up to us to ask, Lord, what were you talking about? What, what did you mean? And when interpreting these parables, we got to look for the big idea or the big picture. We don't want to be too strict in our interpretation to make something have to mean this. No, let's first get the big idea of what he's talking about. And I believe the big idea is that the kingdom of God is about joy. The kingdom of God is about dig this treasurable moments. So following God, God has treasure for us. 
Not necessarily money. We know he has that. But something that money cannot buy, which is what joy is. Money can buy happiness, which is temporary. But joy comes from God, which is eternal. And the kingdom of God. And so when you're reading this parable, it's as if this man is walking a field that he's about to buy. He's contemplating whether he's going to buy this piece of real estate, Paul Revere, and all of our other real estate agents here. And he's looking at the land, and and while he's looking at the land, he comes across something that was hidden, but he finds it. It's as if he stumbles across a treasure that's on the land that the owner did not know that was on the land. So being shrewd as a serpent, which is what Jesus tells us, The guy says, oh, I really got to buy this land now because there's something on this land that's extremely valuable. So it's so valuable, I'm going to sell everything I have to go and purchase this land because of the treasure that is there. This treasure that he was not looking for, like Jed, it was a serendipity. It was a serendipitous surprise. It, It was God blessing him. And it brought up so much joy in his life. So the kingdom of God is like a man or a woman who finds treasure they weren't looking for. And let's go back to the greatest treasure of all, Jesus. We we weren't looking for him. He was looking for us. And he changed our lives and he is changing our lives. So being in the kingdom of God is to be a part of many life-changing, treasurable moments. And when these treasurable moments happen, we should write them down to remember how God surprised us. We like surprise parties, at least some of us do. And our friends and our family throw surprise parties as a way of showing how much they love us. And they go through great lengths to surprise us to get the people assembled at a certain place and all that stuff so you can walk in surprise. It's a way of showing love. And there are times God will surprise us in the kingdom with something we weren't looking for, but we just happened to stumble over. And I want somebody to know today who feels like you're in a dry place, a dry season. I want to let you know that seasons change and that God loves to throw surprise parties. Now, Some of us have spoiled our children where we throw them a surprise party every year and it's not even a surprise anymore. That's not how God is. God God doesn't spoil us, um, but he does surprise us from time to time. So here's the main idea today. God is not done surprising you with treasurable moments in life. He's not done. He's not done surprising you with treasurable moments in life. Why? Because God loves for his disciples to joyfully stumble upon life-changing, treasurable moments. God loves to randomly astonish his children whenever the serene dips into the mundane. Okay, all right, Pastor, I hear you, man. Can you give me more? Okay. Remember in John chapter 2? When Jesus is at a wedding in Cana of Galilee and it appears that his mother may have been the mistress of ceremonies or someone that was uh, in charge of the wedding. Because when the wine ran out, they went to Jesus' mother, Mary, with that problem. And she immediately went to Jesus with that problem. You do know who to take your problems to, right? When you're out of something. Lord, I need you because I'm out of hope. I'm out of love. I'm out of despair. Lord, help me. I go to Jesus. So she went to Jesus, and Jesus is like, woman, what does that have to do with me? Now, if you're a teenager, do not talk to your mother like that when you get home. You will get the teeth smacked out of your mouth. Uh, 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 He says, woman, which in that culture was a sign of respect. Mother, what does that have to do with me? Now, she then hears that response and says to the servants at the wedding, whatever he tells you to do, do it. So he said one thing, basically like, I'm not involved. But she knew enough about her son to say, he will not leave me hanging in this moment. He had not performed a public miracle yet. This will be his first public miracle. But she knew something about him because he was born miraculously. And unlike James and Judas, 
This boy never sinned, and so she knew there was something special about him, and she needed him now, quick, fast, in a hurry. And so she said, uh, he, he said, uh, where are these water pots here that they wash their hands for purification? Come on, bring them here. Fill them up with water. Just fill them up with water. Now, Jesus has not told anyone what he is going to do. And that's some of our problem. You know, we want Jesus to tell us everything he's going to do. But we walk by faith, don't we? Not by sight. Because we're on a great adventure with God. So fill up these water pots with water. Just natural water up in these water pots. And then Jesus tells the servants to dip the ladle. Did y'all hear me? Dip the ladle into the water pots. And when they pulled out the ladle and tasted it, it was wine. And it was wine that tasted better than the wine they had set out earlier. Because, you know, in some cultures, they like, let, let, let me put out some of the good stuff first. Get your taste buds, didn't. Then we're going to put out this cheap $2 wine a little bit later. But they said the wine that Jesus prepared, which wasn't grape juice, the wine that Jesus prepared was better than the wine they set out at first. So a serendipity, a surprise, when they dipped the ladle into the water and pulled it out, there was wine. Man, the shevets, man, the good stuff, it was there. God loves to dip the serene into the mundane and do miracles in our lives. So, and the Bible says, and, and, and no one knew where the wine came from except the people who dipped it. They knew. And everybody may not know what's going on in your life, but, but, but you know who did it. You, you know God bless you with that job, bless you with that house, bless you with this, that healing. You know it was God. So here are a few, just a few serendipitous surprises found in Scripture. J just a few surprises. Abraham wanted Ishmael to be his heir. He wanted Ishmael to be his heir. But surprise. Sarah, at 90 years old, is pregnant. God dips the serene into the mundane. He does a miracle. Jacob sent his 10 sons into Egypt to buy grain because of a famine. They're trying not to die. They send their, he sends his sons into Egypt not knowing that Joseph is there. And they come into Egypt to buy grain, but surprise, Joseph is alive, and he ends up saving the entire family from the famine. That's a serendipitous surprise. And the Bible says that when Jacob not only saw Joseph, but Joseph's children, Manasseh and Ephraim, the Bible says his spirit quickened within him. And I believe he lived longer because of that surprise party that God blessed his soul with. Samuel, the prophet, thought Eliab, one of uh, Jesse's sons, was going to be the next king. Because God says, go, go, go to Jesse's house. You're going to anoint a king there. And Jesse got, what, seven, eight sons. And they all look good. They're tall. And Eliab, the oldest, came out. And Samuel's like, surely the Lord's anointed stands before me. And the Lord was, said, said to Samuel, calm down, uh, calm down. Uh, God does not look at what man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but I'm looking at the heart. He's looking at all the sons. He's like, now, I know I heard from God to come here. These are all your sons. I know there's a, prophet, a king, rather, in here. Jesse, do you have any more sons? Yeah, I got one more. The brother out in the field, he's the youngest. Uh, Samuel said, go get him. I will not sit down till he comes. He comes in the room. Surprise! The Holy Spirit says, anoint him. He is the next king of Israel. He went there looking for Iliab, but end up finding David. Oh, oh, God will surprise you. The women went to the tomb early on Sunday morning to anoint a dead body of Jesus. Oh, oh that's what they went for. Because when Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus took Jesus' body off the cross, they hurriedly put it in the tomb before the Sabbath came. And the women were watching. And then on Sunday morning, they got up and they said, we're going to the tomb to do something mundane. We're going to wrap his body up again. We're going to do it the right way. But surprise! His body was not there. And then Mary Magdalene, on the same morning, she's having a conversation with who she thought was the gardener. 
But surprise, it was Jesus Christ. Oh, God will surprise his people. The disciples, after feeling dejected because they had uh, fallen away from the Lord, they, they went out fishing, couldn't catch any fish. And they're out there on the Sea of Galilee, and they see a man walking on the shore. It's Jesus. They don't know it's Jesus. And Jesus says to them, uh, uh, have y'all caught any fish? They're like, no. He says, uh, put the net on the left side. Now, that don't make a lot of sense, but they did it. And when they put the net on the left side, surprise, all kind of fish just started jumping into the net. Over 100 fish. And they were like, can't nobody do that but Jesus. And Peter was like, that, that's the Lord. He jumps out the boat. He's not walking on water this time. He swims to the shore because Jesus surprised them with a serendipity. Paul went to Damascus, or should I say Saul, to imprison those Christians. He's going to Damascus with authority, the letters in his hand from the chief priest, to imprison Christians and surprise. He meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, becomes born again, and ends up in Damascus as a Christian. That's a serendipitous surprise. He wasn't looking for that. Peter reluctantly went into Cornelius' house. The Gentile did not want to go. Even though Jesus says, I want you to preach to all nations, he did not want to go. He was still bound by tradition and even personal prejudice. But he went on in reluctantly into Cornelius' house and said, well, since I'm here, let me start telling you about Jesus. And while he's telling them about Jesus, those Gentiles grasped the, those words out of the sky and into their heart about Jesus, and the Holy Spirit fell without Peter's permission or approval. The Holy Spirit hit those Gentiles. They started speaking in languages just like the Jews did in Acts chapter 2. Now Peter is excited. Where's the water? Where's the water? Can we baptize him? Serendipitous surprise. God is not done doing serendipitous surprises in the earth. But here are just a few serendipitous surprises from my life, just a few. And as I was thinking about this, my son, he's not here this morning. Uh, 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 that boy was a serendipitous surprise. <laughs> Wasn't aiming for him, but I got him, you know. Anyway, let me move on. Uh, in 1984, I went to a camp. I was an unbeliever. I went there to meet girls. I was a teenager. I was a walking hormone. I, I went there to show off for girls. Couldn't swim, but I was going to show off around the pool walking on the side. Going to get on the basketball court and try to work some dudes and do all this stuff. But, but I ended up surprised meeting Jesus at the camp. Thank you, God. Went there for one thing, stumbled on the greatest treasure in my life. It was a setup from the word go. And in 1986, I went to college to play football. If I could have majored in football, I would have majored in football. But surprise, broke my leg, and thus my prayer life began, and God called me into the ministry. So the breaking of my leg was the one of the best breaks of my life because God used that for me to stumble on to what he has for me. My God, serendipitous surprise. I, I was dating a girl in college. Uh, once I got my call into the ministry, you know, I feel like I got to get a wife. I got to get a wife. So I come back my sophomore year looking for a wife, just so young and foolish and <laughs> looking for a wife. So I start dating a girl whose father was a pastor. And, uh, and I said, <laughs> if I get with her, I can get the church that her father pastors, you know, so I'm thinking, I'm thinking. <laughs> but surprise, Dorena was in the cut praying that that relationship wouldn't go right. <laughs> that's not how she would say it, but that's how I said. And me and this girl stopped talking and I ended up being with Dorena. Surprise, surprise. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Who, whose father does have a church? Amen. God knows how to do it. Uh, uh. And in 1992, I came to Nashville reluctantly. I didn't want to come here. 
land of cowboy hats and cowboy boots and hee-haw. I didn't want to come here, but I came here because my record company was here. So I came here, man, and uh, as soon as we unpacked the U-Haul truck, it's as if we got the phone call saying, we are canceling your record contract. Now, that was a surprise on the negative side, but it ended up being a positive thing because God had to work for me in Franklin with Christ Community Church. And so I'm working with this all-white church, and I'm serving in the low-income community, which is majority African-American. So surprise, God was doing something in my heart that I said I would never do. I would never plant a church. And then once God got a hold of my heart, I said, okay, God, I'll plant a church. Okay, I'll plant a black church because I grew up in a black church. God was like, are you finished giving me your ideas? Uh -uh. (laughs) I need you to plant my church. In this case, it's going to be multiracial, multi-economic, multi-denominational, multi-generational. And I said, yes, Lord. And so I was going to plant a black church, but surprise, he he says, plant a multi-ethnic church. And 27 years now, we're still going. In 2000, I baptized my son at the Franklin YMCA. What a glorious day. Went home that day and had a serendipitous surprise. Because on the same day I baptized my son Dante, my sister Cindy called me from Maryland to say that my father had transitioned to glory. Pastor Chris, how is that a serendipitous surprise? Well, of all the days my dad went to glory, he went to glory on the day when his grandson made his faith public, and now my father's faith became sight. That was no mistake. That was God giving me a wink from heaven, a nod from heaven said, I'm still in control, even though you may feel that things are out of control. Your son is making his faith public, and now your father is appearing before my throne. Thank you. Serendipitous surprise. And then in 2012, when we had to get out of the uh, Cool Springs Y, we've been the Cool Springs Y doing two services. They came to us and said, we have discovered mold in the men's locker room. Why wasn't it in the women's locker room? But it was mold. And they said, uh, you've got 30 days to get out for at least a period of 90 days. Y'all got 30 days. Anybody remember that? Was anybody there during that time? You got 30 days to get out. We prayed. I knew the Lord wasn't saying the church was over. Just this place where we were meeting was over. So we went looking all around Franklin, 16 different locations, Nothing came about. And so we're praying as a church. We're fasting. God, what do you have for us? And then all of a sudden, one of our members at the time, just a little old small figure skater named Scott Hamilton. You know, a couple of gold medals, you know, a couple of gold medals. He could flip on the ice and all that. He came to me and said, Pastor Chris, there's a building that's empty in Nashville. My children have used that building to go to different Christian schools and all that kind of stuff that was in there. It's empty. And I said to myself, I didn't say it to him, I said, now, brother, we're supposed to be out here in Franklin. We're not coming to Brentwood, Nashville. But you know what? Since you won a couple of gold medals, I'll go check the place out. And when I walked in to the place we're in right now, It was like, surprise! This is your home right here. I said, oh, Lord. He has a way of surprising us. And then in 2017, we wanted to remove the Confederate monument in Franklin. That was our plan. But surprise! God had another plan. He says, it's not about what you're going to take down. It's about what you're going to put up. I want you to enlighten people. I want you to teach people. I want representation. Because if you tear the thing down, the history is still going to be here. Why don't you put up a representation, a statue of a United States colored troop soldier and surprise over one billion media hits? Y'all can do better than that. Come on. Matter of fact, 
because of what happened in Franklin. Now Pulaski has a USCT troop soldier in Pulaski because their officials came here and saw what we were doing, took that vision back and said we could do it where the Ku Klux Klan was founded. So don't tell me God still does not do surprises. Strong Tower, God is not done surprising you with treasurable moments in life. You just go on about the mundane and leave him to do the serene in your mundane. And, and it's not always the big stuff. A lot of times it's, he woke me up this morning. He started me on my way. He kept me through dangers seen and unseen. Deregis asked me, I got in late last night from Orlando. He says, was it a good trip? I said, every time you come back home, it's a good trip. Every flight that lands is a good flight. He's always working. So what can you do with a message like this? First off, y'all be encouraged. He's not done. He's not done surprising you. He loves to surprise his children. Secondly, be active. Be on the move. It's been said you can only steer a moving car. God loves to steer moving Christians. Now, even if you're like Jonah going in the wrong direction, he will steer you back to the right direction. So, so, so God won't show you the hidden treasure in the field if you refuse to get on the field. And then thirdly, be vocal. Get in the habit of sharing your glory stories with other folks. When God did that in your life, it just wasn't for you. It's for you to tell other people what God did so that those people can get a glimpse of God in the mundane of your life to give them hope that if he did it for you, he can do something for me. And when I tell my story how he did this, when I tell my story how he did that, it gives glory to God. So when you stumble on a treasurable moment, just don't keep it to yourself. Let your light so shine before men. Open up your mouth and bless God for the great things that he has done. So I'm giving you an assignment. Over lunch today, if you know Jesus, you better tell at least one glory story in your life where he surprised you with something better than what you were looking for. Can you do that over lunch today? Give him some glory by telling a story. I mean, the whole world knows Elder Sherman's story. That brother didn't know he had another son. But surprise! And the world got to hear how God was working in the midst of that story to give people hope to help people who've adopted children and finding their birth parents, all that stuff, because God says, I'm going to surprise this man with his son. Oh, God is not done surprising us. Now, I started this message by quoting a song, the Beverly Hillbillies. I want to end this message by quoting a song that also has a serendipitous surprise within it. So I've asked my friend, who I've been quoting this whole sermon, who sings the song, The Great Adventure, Stephen Curtis Chapman, to come and help me close out this sermon. Y'all welcome Stephen Curtis Chapman. <laughs> Stephen? Stephen? I was just messing with y'all. I did not invite <laughs> Stephen Curtis Chapman. Some of y'all like, where you at? Where, getting your cameras ready. Where, where's Stephen? <laughs> but I think he would come if I did invite him. <laughs> so because he's not here, I must quote him. <laughs> Stephen says, come on, get ready for the ride of your life. We're going to leave long-faced religion in a cloud of dust behind and discover all the new horizons just waiting to be explored this is what we were created for. So saddle up your horses. We got a trail to blaze. Through the wild blue yonder of God's amazing grace, let's follow our leader into the glorious unknown.
This is life like no other. This is the great adventure. And I got to let y'all know, man, walking with Jesus is a great adventure. One surprise after another. And the greatest things in my life are things that I wasn't looking for. It's the things I wasn't trying to do. I didn't go to camp looking for Jesus, but thank God he found me at that camp. Uh, I never wanted to be a preacher, but thank God he called me to be a preacher. And the stuff I didn't want to do is the stuff I love to do, and it blesses others. I didn't want to be a pastor. I didn't want to pastor a multiracial church and plant a church in the south in Franklin, Tennessee. But thank God, I love Strong Tower Bible Church. I didn't want to do it at first to keep it real with y'all. And here we are again at a place in my life where God appears to be doing another serendipitous surprise. And I'm like, Lord, I don't know about this. So I was in Maryland on Memorial Day with my family, and we went out to the grave where my dad and my mom are buried. My dad was a sergeant in the Army, so they're buried at a veteran's cemetery. And we're out there taking pictures. We're out there reflecting as a family. And uh, then we leave there, and we go to my oldest sister's house, Kathy, who's going to be speaking here in August. Because the assignment that she gave us was to look through all of these photo albums that my mom had accumulated over the years. And so we are looking through, and she said, take whatever pictures you want, or take pictures of the pictures. We, we got, there were tubs of photo albums, because back in the day, you didn't have digital stuff. You had to take pictures, and then you would go to the store, and they would print them out for you. Then you would put them in those photo albums, and she had so many photos. We couldn't even get through all of them. But there was one tub that not only had photo albums, but it had treasures in it. My mother collected Strong Tower memorabilia. And one of the things we found in her belongings was the very first brochure that we ever made for Strong Tower. And it was about a prayer meeting that we were going to have about this church that was going to launch. So we had a prayer meeting in May of 1995 and the church would launch in September 1995, and we, would, we met again in June, July, August, and then the church started. So the very first thing we ever did as a church, my mother had a copy of it. I don't have a copy of it, but mama had it in her stuff, and I'm looking at this, and I say to my family, y'all, I can't believe this. She, she collected this. So it got my heart, and I started reading through the vision that I was given to people who were just coming to the prep meetings. Oh, we're going to start this church September 3rd because I went to the YMCA before they ever opened. They were building the Franklin Y, and I had enough wherewithal because God was doing something in my heart. And I went up there and I said, we need this Y for a church. They said yes. Then we started having these meetings. My mother had that first brochure. Then I come back to Strong Tower, and Dr. Michael Emerson is teaching a Sunday school class at 9 o'clock. Who's there when Michael Emerson was here? 9 o'clock, 9 o'clock. And he's up there talking about the church and how folks need the church. You heard Brother Isaiah talking about we all need community. Not just teens, but everybody needs community. That's how we grow. All of that iron, sharpening iron, encouraging, edifying, bearing one another's burdens, hanging out, especially on this racial tip. We got to show the world that, man, we are his disciples by the love we have for one another, not by our doctrinal statements and positional statements, and by how we love each other. And this brother get up in the class giving statistics and stuff that the church is in decline and all this. And then he says, you know, the number of multiracial churches has grown to 17%, but of those churches, 2% are led by black men. And then he said, there needs to be two or three more strong towers out here. Y'all remember when he said that? I tried to laugh it off. <laughs> Spirit of God put a hook in me. You didn't find your mother's brochure by accident. You stumbled on that treasure by providence. You brought in a friend to speak, and he speaks prophetically about the fact that 
This grace must reach more and more people, that, that we must make more disciples who make disciples. So you know what, Chris? That thing you said you would never do, which is to plant more strong towers. Lord, I'm busy. Lord, I'm tired. God is not asking for my opinion. So I talked to Pastor Jerry. I said, Pastor, I think God is saying, let's plant more churches that are intentionally multiracial, led by black men. Of course, Pastor Jerry, yeah, let's go, let's go. <laughs> I then speak to the elders about what God is putting on my heart. And I, I'm just not sure what's going on, you know, yeah. And I'm looking for a way out. <laughs> and all of them were like, yeah, because our vision talks about experiencing, explaining, and expanding. God's diverse kingdom. Now, I always thought expanding the kingdom by way of churches was we would help other churches, not that we would start other churches. And so I think I'm in the midst of a serendipitous surprise, but I figured I'd tell y'all because we are in the midst of a serendipitous. Oh, it ain't just on me now. It'd be on us. So when I come back off my sabbatical, we're going to talk about what this might mean. Of course, we're going to seek the Lord because in Acts chapter 13, the Holy Spirit said to the church, separate Paul and Barnabas for the work that I have. For. And so, so Holy Spirit, lead us, show us what you want us to do so that we can expand your kingdom, the diverse kingdom. I don't know what communities will go in. God will show us. Is it Antioch? Is it Spring Hill? Is it Murfreesboro? Uh, is it Clarksville? I don't know. But God does. I saw this the other day. If it's your calling, it will keep calling you. <laughs> but sometimes you don't want to hear it. But then it becomes all that you want to hear when you give him your yes. Y'all quiet. Y'all contemplating. But let's expand. God's diverse kingdom. However he tells us to do it. Amen. Let's stand up. Pray for your pastor, your leaders. And God already started, you know, giving me a plan. I already started looking at various models of how churches do it and how God may lead us to do it. And so I won't, I won't get ahead of myself. But he already started laying stuff out, laying people out. So we'll, we'll, we'll do this together. Remember when Nehemiah came into town and the walls were in ruins and rubble was everywhere. And he said to the people, he said, you see the trouble that we are in. Let us rise up and build. When you see the trouble that we are in as a country, the trouble we are in as a church, racial polarization, racial hatred, racial tension, and it's only going to get worse. But I know that there are people out here just like us who not only want Jesus, but who also want this kind of experience and expression. It's not for everybody. Everybody's not called to do this. But many people are. Let's pray about it. See what God shows us, how he leads us. And one day in the future, we'll sit back and say, remember started talking about that and look what God has done Father God we thank you that you're able to do exceeding abundantly above anything we could ever ask or imagine I'm here Lord in your house behind your pulpit with your word because you had something for me that I had no idea you had for me and it's been one of the Greatest things, a treasurable moment in my life. I thank you for this church. It gives me sanity when I see so much division around. I thank you that I can come home to this church and be with my brothers and sisters of various hues, economic backgrounds, all that stuff, that we can be one but not the same in Jesus. And, Lord, I just believe in my heart you're stirring to say that this grace, what you're doing in this house, that you want to reach more and more people. Thank you for Elder John Kiever who reminded us, elders of the Great Commission, that Jesus wants us to make disciples of all ethnic groups. This is your will to go out, to plant churches, to support people who are planting churches, 
the local church, your bride. You still love us. You still love her. No matter how dysfunctional we are, we're imperfect, but your grace covers us. Your blood forgives us. And we are truly like beggars who found the bread of life, who just want to share you, Jesus, with others. This is lofty. This is big. <laughs> but is anything too hard for our God? Lord, I confess to you at times my fear as I think about this. But I'm also quickly reminded by your spirit that I am a great candidate. All of us are because you operate best through weak vessels. That when we're weak, that's an advantage we have so that your spirit can rest on us and do the work. Because you put this treasure, 2 Corinthians 4, in earthen vessels, jars of clay, so that the all-surpassing power may be from you and not of us. Father, would you do it? I believe you're already doing it. <laughs> work in us, work through us, show us your will, show us your way. And for the weeks to come, as we have guests in your kingdom, come into this house to preach your word. May your spirit continue to speak to the body of Strong Tower Bible Church. And I pray right now for that person who needs a surprise. Lord, they're struggling. Sometimes they may even think you've forgotten them. But maybe even through this message today, you're reminding them that you haven't forgotten them. You have them. You've never failed them and you never will. So bless them. And for those of us who lack faith, we confess to you, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Do miracles, Lord, because we believe. Open up doors that no man can shut, even shut doors that no man can open. Thank you that our steps are ordered, even when we have to step out the boat and walk on water. When we have to do things that we've never seen done or that we've never done, you're with us. Thank you that you always call us up, you call us out, you call us in. We walk with you, even if our knees are knocking. We trust you. I thank you for businessmen and women in this body who stepped out on faith and they were able to do great things for you. Thank you that we have testimonies in the house of what you're able to do. We love you so much. We bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Can you hug somebody before you leave? Can you bless somebody? And don't forget, share some serendipitous surprises at lunch. Talk about what the Lord has done. Have a blessed day, everybody.